21 begin. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. Again, let's pray. Father, one more time, I ask you to help me be a help and a blessing to your people this morning. Thank you for bringing us here. Those who are on their way, may we just gather together with the right spirit, with the desire to be changed. We love you. Thank you for Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. All right. Uh, I have a, a sad fact for you. Our heart is very good at condemning us. You know, it's bad enough when Satan accuses us. Go, you're in 1 John, go to the right, go to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. It's hard enough when you've got the devil pointing the finger at you. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. Listen to what God calls the devil. And it's, uh, it's, what his, it's his job title. Revelation chapter 12 verse 10. I heard a loud voice in saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren, that's the devil, is finally cast down, which accused them before God day and night, day and night. He pointed the finger and says, now Ledbetter, did you see that God? Now Bill, did you see that? Now let me pick on somebody else. Now Gina, now did you see that? All the way through, History, the devil's been good at accusing us. And you know what? He didn't have to lie. He, all he needed was for us to fail, for us to fall into sin and him to point the finger. He didn't have to exaggerate. He could just point and accuse us before God. It's bad enough when Satan accuses us. It's bad enough when the world's culture mocks and accuses us and laughs at us when we fall. How many of you have had the world look at you with big eyes when all of a sudden you forgot uh, that you were a Christian and you got upset and you said something that you went, oh, I shouldn't have said that. And the world goes, oh, I thought you were a Christian. Boy, the world points a finger and says, oh yeah, you, you holier than thou. And you go, I never lived that way. I'm just trying to do right. The world is good at condemning us and family even, my goodness. Family can have no compassion on you when you fail at home because they see you at your worst at home. Well, that's bad enough, but when our own heart condemns us, it's unbearable. We don't even need the devil to accuse us and point the finger at us and judge us. We don't even need our friends to point out our hypocrisy. Our own heart condemns us. You read there in 1 John, it says, when our heart condemns us. It's like, ouch. Now, it's part of our conscience. Our heart overlaps and the concepts. There are psychologists who spend all their lives trying to learn about the human heart. And they only can go so far without the Word of God because he's the one who designed it and he can explain it. Now, what's it like when our heart condemns us? Well, what I know is you feel crushed under the weight of the wrongs that you've done. You feel gutted like a fish on the table. You feel guilty or condemned judged as wrong. When your heart is condemning you, it overwhelms you. It just beats you down. It knocks you down to where you're unable to get up. And, and you end up without hope. You feel ruined and it is unbearable when your heart 
condemns you. When somebody points out something that is untrue about you, you're like, that's not true. But when it's true, you go, I just want to go die under a rock. So the question is, how does a Christian survive their heart condemning them? How do we deal with it? Well, you can't ignore it. Sin never lets you get away with it. It has to be dealt with. It's kind of like um, uh, a flat tire. You can try and ignore the flat tire for a few minutes, but it's just only going to get worse and worse, isn't it? And that's the truth with a condemning heart. I know how the world tries to deal with guilt. It turns to drink. It turns to drugs. It turns to counselors and counseling. It, it turns to a life of hypocrisy where you put on a good show and you put on lying and a fake lifestyle that, that you sit with your friends and you laugh and you say, oh, life is good. But in your heart, you know that you're ruined. Your, your wife won't talk to you. Your dog runs away from you. Everything is wrong and your heart is condemning you. So when, with, uh, when it comes to a Christian, can a Christian actually handle a condemning heart? And the answer is yes. I want to encourage you this morning. There's a way that you can do it in victory, but you have to do it God's way. So I intend to prove to you that it's good for us. Watch this. Surprise. It is good for us to feel condemned, guilty at first. Look at an example. Let's go to Luke chapter 22 in your Bible. Luke chapter 22. One of the best examples of somebody whose heart condemned them. Luke chapter 22 and verse 54. Luke 22, in verse 54. Here we have a man named Simon Peter. He's a grown man in his early 30s. He's a hardworking fisherman, able to work all night long, casting a net constantly and drawing it in. And it's not easy work. It's backbreaking work. His muscles were big. His back was strong. This is a grown, strong man of a man. He was a prominent disciple of Jesus as well. He was an apostle. And yet here he is. Look at chapter 22, verse 54. And they took, uh, they took Jesus. They took him. They led him. And they brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter, he followed. Was he close? No, he's way back. He's already taking steps of saying, I don't think I want to be seen with Jesus right now. Okay, let's keep going. Peter followed afar off. Verse 55. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of of the hall where Peter was, and they were set down together. Peace, Peter sat down among them. So he's within sight of Jesus. He can hear what's being said, but he's back with a group of other servants, and he's just sitting there warming himself by the fire. Verse 56. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, Hey, this man also was with him. Verse 57, and he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him, I know him not. After a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also one of them, those disciples. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of an hour after, another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he's a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter and Peter remembered the word of the Lord how he had said unto him before the cock crow thou shalt deny me thrice and Peter watch these words went out and next two words wept bitterly now here is a guy 
strong man, weeping in deep sorrow. He's crying abundant tears. Now, I looked up bitterly, and you say, when you weep bitterly, it means to weep violently. We say convulse. We, <laughs> he is, he's probably never wept this way a day in his life. How do you think he feels? <clears throat> Gutted. Ruined. Do you think he can get close to Jesus now? Do you think he feels like a great apostle? Do you think that he can just ignore what just happened? Jesus heard Peter three times deny even knowing him. Luke says that Peter even cursed his name. He used his name as a curse word, as if it was a blasphemous name. And when Jesus turned and looked at him, it was like, oh, and he walked out probably wanted to run out weeping now, how do you handle that when your heart condemns you how do you recover from that now you say well well can a Christian get that low obviously a Christian can obviously the truth is Peter is there as an example of humanity that our heart will condemn us and I want to say that's a good thing this morning that's very important for us because I want to talk about there are problems with the human heart that need to be exposed. Watch this. <clears throat> uh, we're not, you ever heard anybody say we're all basically good? All right, they never had children. <laughs> anybody who believes that we're all basically good never had children. Because you don't have to teach a child to do wrong. Now they pick it up, but they already are selfish little creatures who have to be taught to do right. We're not basically good, we're basically selfish, we're basically evil. Put two kids together in one toy and see what happens, okay? We're not basically good. There are problems with our heart. Go ahead, go back to Jeremiah chapter 17. Got some scriptures here to look at this morning. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9. You probably know this verse. <clears throat> but something that's true about the human heart is it is deceptive and desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful. What does that mean? It's a liar. Your heart is, is deceiving. It will lie to you. It will lie to people. It will lie to God. But then the next part says, and desperately wicked. Desperate. We use that phrase. Oh, it's desperately hot. What do we mean by that? Oh, it's very hot. <laughs> well, here we are very wicked. It is beyond sinful. It is wicked in its deepest, darkest chambers. That's our heart. You know what happens? People go to churches and they, they go and they read self-help books and they watch the uh, Oprah Winfrey's and the, the uh, paid psychologists on television to basically tell us, you're okay. Oh, it's normal to feel that way and all of these things. And they won't tell you the truth that will happen in a Bible-believing church. It says, you're wicked. You're wicked and you need Jesus Christ. You cannot live without God. That was the first lie of the devil, wasn't it? You don't need God, Eve. Just go ahead and disobey him. Uh, just do what you want. You don't need God. And boy, have we been paying for that ever since. Go to Jeremiah chapter 16. The second thing that's wrong is our heart is imaginative in the very worst ways. Go back one page to verse 12. Jeremiah 16 and verse 12. <clears throat> and ye have done worse than your fathers. <laughs> For behold, ye walk every one after the imagination of his evil heart, 
that they may not hearken unto me. Somebody didn't even have to show you something wrong. Sometimes people dream up sins and then follow after that. Uh, Genesis 6 says this, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's why God had to destroy the world. It had gotten so bad that it wasn't just at times that the heart showed itself evil. It was a constant evil. There was such violence before the flood that God had to just start all over. So you know why people hate the Bible? Because it shows our heart. Doesn't show us, I mean, if, if you were David and somebody was writing a book about you, like Second, Second Samuel, you would never let them write about your sin with Bathsheba, would you? You'd say, uh, take that out, I'm king, remove that. But you see, God writes about the wickedness of the human heart because we need to see it. Third, our heart loves darkness. Gospel of John, chapter 3. John, these are the words of Jesus. John, chapter 3 and verse 19. 3.19 says, <clears throat> we know verse 16, God so loved the world. Verse 19, this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, Jesus, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Why did they kill Jesus? They killed Jesus not because they loved him. It's because they didn't want him entering into their darkness. The human heart loves darkness. And here's a great truth. And, and once you see these truths, you're going to understand what I'm going to say later on and in the next message. Uh, the human heart is blind to itself. <clears throat> it doesn't know its own nature. You ever, you ever caught somebody doing something, and as soon as you say, what are you doing? Uh, uh, I wasn't doing anything. <laughs> yes, you were. Now, you and I, if you, if, if you want to see human nature, look at a six-year-old. My... Uh, 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 my youngest, my oldest son, Joel, I think I've told this example, we bought some, some vitamins that were flavored vitamins, you know, chewables, and, you know, cherry and strawberry and raspberry and orange and stuff like this. Well, my kids were like, there's candy, because we didn't give them candy very often at all. So we gave me each a chewable vitamin, and then I put it on top of the fridge and walked out of the room. Well, Joel went, and he went, I want another one. He was probably five, six years old. He pushed a chair up there, got up, wasn't high enough. So he got a stool, put it on the chair, got up on the chair, got up on the stool, reached over and was grabbing it just as I came back in the room. You know what he did when he came back in the room? He said, his sister Sharon, Sharon wanted him. <laughs> That's his older sister, Sharon. He wouldn't accept the fact that he was getting it and he didn't want to be blamed. Do you understand? I didn't teach him that. <laughs> wow. The human heart doesn't accept its own response, doesn't accept blame. It is blind to itself. Uh, it is untrustworthy. Go back to Proverbs. Proverbs. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs 28 and verse 26. He that trusteth in his own heart is a what? Is a fool. Those are strong words. Somebody says, follow your heart. No, 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 no. <laughs> Get counsel. Pray. Don't follow your own heart. The Bible says, uh, where am I? 28, 26. 28, 26 says, no. Where am I? Yeah, 28, 26. I was in the wrong place. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. But whoso walketh wisely, 
carefully listen to the counsel, he shall be delivered from trouble. So your heart is untrustworthy. It is the source of our worst troubles. Go back to chapter 4 in Proverbs. I'm just giving you some background here. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Proverbs 4, 23. <clears throat> when Peter was, was following Jesus down to the high priest's house and watching Jesus as he's carried in, in ropes, in, in, in bonds before the high priest and being beaten and spit upon, what is Peter's heart telling him to do? Trust me, just stay back, you'll be safe. He was trusting his heart instead of trusting his call. What was his call? To follow Jesus, wasn't it? it was, he was supposed to be with Jesus. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, keep thy heart, which means hold on to it. Can you imagine? You, you take your kids into the shopping center and it's two days before Christmas. How close do you keep your kids? You keep them very close, don't you? Because your, your children, it's not only the bad people out there who might snatch them. It's the kids who go, oh, I want this. And you're going that way and you don't even know that they've left you. So you hold on to them. You put leashes on them. I mean, all the things they do for kids today. But the Bible says, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. All the issues that you face came from either your heart or somebody else's heart. It is the source of our worst troubles and it's the source of all the sins that we commit. Mark chapter 7. <clears throat> Mark chapter 7. What's wrong with the heart? <laughs> Everything. Mark chapter 7 and verse 20. Did you know every sin that you can commit, the potential for any sin imaginable is already in your heart. You just haven't flipped the switch on yet. You just haven't activated it yet. Mark chapter 7 and verse 20. He said, this is Jesus speaking, that which cometh out of the man, that's what ruins the man, defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed, that's where we get our evil thoughts. <clears throat> that's where adulteries begin, in the heart. Fornications, murder begins where? In the heart. Thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, when you make a lie, lasciviousness, lusting, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, all foolishness, all evil, all these evil things come from within and they defile or they ruin the man. The source of all the sins that we commit are already in our heart and it's like a magnet to sin. My heart just attracts trouble. Go to James. One more verse here, James. <clears throat> Hebrews, James chapter 1. Verse 14, James 1, 14. <clears throat> but every man is tempted, is pulled, is attracted when he is drawn away of his own lust. Nobody comes along and says, here, smoke this. Here, drink this. Look what it says. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So my heart is like a magnet to sin. All somebody has to do is find something my heart is, is wishing for, is dreaming about. He goes, oh, that's what I want. But not only that, it is our ruin. Look at verse 15. Then when lust hath conceived, when it started, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. But that's not the worst thing of the heart. Are you ready? Look at all the good that the heart does. Okay. The worst thing is that that wicked heart in me 
accuses me. <laughs> That's the, we're our worst hypocrites because that part of me that sins, that loves to sin, that is drawn to sin like a magnet, that heart that, that just seems to bring up the, 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 the worst things to say and the worst things to do, then turns and says, aha, look how wicked you are. Can you imagine the very heart that causes us to sin, and it is the reason why we sin, turns on us and condemns us. That is, I mean, it'd be nice if your heart said, oh, you're not that bad. <laughs> oh, you're going to be okay. Yet I have to say, thank God for the human heart. With all its flaws and problems, our heart is needful. It is necessary to be human. With the heart, we are more than just skin and bones. We're more than just chemical reactions. I have a biology book that says that life is a series of complex chemical cascades. Okay? <laughs> no! Life is, is more than just chemical reactions. Life is more than just animalistic drives and urges that evolutionists want to try to make you believe. No, God designed us with a heart. Because it's with our heart that we love. It is the greatest emotion for a reason. Our heart, without a heart, I mean that chair, electricity, a computer, the things that we spend so much time loving and so much time with our, with our money, cannot love. It's our heart that loves. Thank God for that. With our heart, we believe God. Listen, if you don't use your heart in belief, if you just have your head knowledge of, all right, I accept there's a great creator up there, you'll go straight to hell when you die. You cannot just mentally agree with the fact there's a creator. Even the devils believe that. But with the heart, man believes unto righteousness, the Bible says that thou shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead. So with our heart, we believe. It's passion. It's emotion. You've got to have emotion and, 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 and reality when you come to God. And the third thing about the heart is, it's what we have, what God gave us so that we feel guilt when we've done wrong. And that's a good thing. It is a very good thing you say, Oh, so-and-so, they, 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 they're, they're, they're defeated. They just, they, they just fell back into sin. And look at how crushed they are. Good! This, we, have a, we have a need for us to feel guilty. It is important. Listen, if you've ever had somebody turn on you, say something about you to somebody else that was a lie, somebody who hurt you, somebody who stole from you, it'd be nice if they felt guilty, amen? And so when we look at if our heart condemns us, don't immediately pull back and go, oh, that's bad. No, it's good at first. Because I'll talk to you later, not today, but I'll talk to you about how God overcomes that and how God, the Bible says that God is greater than our heart. So we'll need God in there because if you stay condemned, you'll die. Your guilt will kill you. So, but start with this idea. It's a good thing that the human heart feels guilt. Let me take this on a little further. What do you do when your heart condemns us? All right, go to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. What do you do when you feel condemned? Guilty. <clears throat> when your wife finds something on your phone, says, what are you looking at? When your parents find something on your computer 
or in, in your notebook, what do you do? What do you do when your pastor preaches about something you're doing that nobody else knows that you're doing? What do you do? Psalm 32, verse 5. I acknowledged my sin unto thee. He's talking to God, David says. In mine iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions, not to a priest, not to a pastor, but unto the Lord. And thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah, think about it. The first thing you need to do when your heart is condemning you is, is accept it. Wait, what? Did I say accept it? Yes, accept it. Condemnation needs to be accepted. When the guardy pull you over and you're going 80 kilometers in a 50 kilometer zone, what do you do? Well, I'm going to stand for my rights. No, you shouldn't at all. You should say, you're right, sir. I was wrong. Accept it. If he claims you're going 51 in a 50, then you can contest it, okay? <laughs> The truth is that we're missing a necessary ingredient. David did not resist. At first he did. At first he tried to ignore his guilt, didn't he? When he had sinned with Bathsheba, what did he do? He, he committed adultery. He was already married. She was already married. He lied about it. He tried to cover it up. And then he murdered Bathsheba's husband so that nobody else would find about it. Sin upon sin upon sin. Here was David, and then he writes, look back there in verse 5, I admitted it. I acknowledged it. It took, it took Nathan coming and pointing his finger at him and says, you're the blame. You're the man. Accept it. I, want, I think one of the greatest character traits of a man, I'll talk about men for a minute because I is one. One of the greatest character traits of a man is taking responsibility when he's done wrong. We all want to take the praise when we've done good, like when we wash the dishes, right? Honey, are you seeing this? Yeah, I'm good, aren't I? Pat me on the back, all right? Yeah, yeah. We all want the praise when we do something supposedly good, but when we've done something wrong, we definitely, don't bring that up. No, don't say that. Don't, don't break me guilty. No, accept it. Don't argue, don't excuse yourself, don't blame others. If you want God to forgive the awfulness of your sin, accept it, number one. Number two, accept it as a good thing. It is a good thing, at first. I keep saying that at first because you can't stay that way, folks. There is no way on earth any human can live under the weight of guilt for very long. But I'm not going to talk about that today. You're going to have to hold on until I deal with part two. You see, what... What the heart, when it is, and I'm using the word not just feeling guilty, but when the heart is going, you're, you're evil, <laughs> you are so wrong. When your heart is doing that, it's like an indicator light on your dash. Now, ladies, does any lady know what this indicator means? That's a joke. Most ladies don't know what that indicator means and the one for water. All right. Anyway, that means your oil is almost gone, doesn't it? Now, is that an evil light? Huh? Is that something that needs, you need to get a piece of tape and put over it and block it out? Should you just go under the dash and unplug it so it doesn't interfere with the speedometer? Wouldn't that be a right eject of a car owner to ignore the oil light? Your heart is your oil light. Your heart is telling you when you feel guilty, hallelujah, 
something's wrong. That is a good thing. We have a generation, at least three generations of people who don't want to be told they're wrong. They've been told all their life, you're the best boy. Oh, you're the best student. Oh, you should get a prize. And none of them are told, that is wrong. You're not allowed to say that. No, don't you treat your sister that up. Uh, that's it. You're in, you're in for the day. Nobody seems to want to do that anymore. Humans need to feel guilt and to know they've done wrong or else nobody's going to get saved. This generation of people are walking right by Bible-believing churches and have no guilt on their conscience about how they're living, about the fact they're rejecting God, they're rejecting Christ, they're rejecting righteousness, and they're going on their way having no idea how much trouble they are in with God. Too many generations have been coddled, protected from guilt and shame for their wrongs. Now I know that in the past, shame and guilt, mainly in the Catholic Church and a lot of churches, was way overdone. Everybody was miserable. Oh, we better go to get church and get beat up again. That was wrong. Agreed. But today, it's the opposite. It's way underdone. The guiltiness for sin is almost non-existent. People have such a wicked, and the proof of it is in people having such wicked, hard attitudes towards correction. They hate being corrected. And you know what? If our children don't like to be corrected, they got it from us. If a child reacts, you know, can you imagine? Here's a, here's a nine-year-old, and you say, that was a wrong word to say. Well, you say some wrong words too, Dad. Whoa. Stab, 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 stab. <laughs> number one, the kid shouldn't say that. But number two, if he did, doesn't that show that we've got some things to deal with and we need to be corrected? They shouldn't be doing it. But wow. The world needs some condemnation. Take your Bible, turn to John chapter 8. Gospel of John chapter 8. Isn't that kind of a funny phrase? The world needs some condemnation. What do all of the Beatles songs and what do all of the modern songs say? All the world needs is love. And it's nice to be loved. Good night. I'd much rather have love. I love it when people love me. But here's the Bible concept. We need some condemnation. Look at John chapter 8, which is this. And I'm talking about in your own heart, not just necessarily from others, but your own heart needs to be able to condemn you. John chapter 8 and verse 7. So when they continued asking, now this is an a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. I don't know where the guy was because he was in the same act, but they left him alone. They brought this woman, threw her down before Jesus. Verse 7, so when they continued asking him what should be done, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin, he you that is qualified to judge among you, let it first cast a stone at her. Again, he stooped down, he wrote on the ground, and they which heard it, being convicted, where? Oh, their heart condemned them. Because every one of those men may not have been doing adultery and physical, but every one of them says, I'm not qualified. I've been doing it in my head and my heart. They were convicted by their own conscience. They went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, because he had enough sin too much, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst, and Jesus lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, and said to her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more, even given a second chance. Let me, let me just say, each one of those men, she was exposed 
in the awful sin of adultery. Whether she was married, which she probably wasn't, she was just probably just a harlot, but interfering in another man's wife, uh, uh, in another man's marriage, he uh, and his wife, she was interfering in that, and she was caught in it, and she was exposed, and should she, she should feel guilty, shouldn't she? But all the people who wanted to judge her, look at how they dropped the stone, and they felt guilty. Hallelujah. We need this, we need to be cut to the heart ourselves. We need it where a man of God stands and preaches against lust, preaches against anger, preaches against hypocrisy, against disrespect, against covetousness, against lying. And the people in the audience become guilty and soft instead of angry and hard. <laughs> if I got on the Late Late Show and I started to preach this message, I give you one guess how everybody would react. What do you think? Most everybody would react, who does this guy think he is? Romans 3.19, don't go there. Let me just read it. It says, now we know that what things soever the law saith, under the Old Testament, all those laws, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. The purpose of the Bible is to convince us of guilt. Christians need to welcome godly sorrow for sin in their own homes and in their lives. Men, from, the teen, from being a teenager up, you need to be ashamed of what you watch, what you think, and what you do. Because until you're ashamed of the things that you get caught or don't get caught at, you're never going to change. The more you think it's just normal, the more you're going to do it. How about grown women? I, I grew up in an age, I probably was the last age, where women actually had more morality than men. Now, I wonder who's got any morality. Guiltiness. Go to John chapter 16. Guiltiness is actually the work of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16 in verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient. It's best for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the, now we love this word, the comforter, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove. Reprove is to point out wrongs. He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That is a work of the Holy Spirit to make people feel guilty. But here's a great truth. I thought I had those anyway. It calls for us to repent. To turn away from what we're guilty of. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 to the right. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 9. This was a man who had committed worse than adultery. He actually married his father's wife. Took his father's wife from his father and married her. And he was supposed to be a Christian. Look at chapter 7 and verse 9. Am I there? Am I right? I rejoice that you were sorry. Sick. Oh, I'm in 1 Corinthians. Now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry, as if I forced you to be sorry, but that ye sorrowed unto repentance. Something broke you, so you repented. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world works what? 
It worketh death. It'll hurt you. Folks, when your heart condemns you, you can turn in faith to the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. And when you turn to him, that's the first and the only and the best time you can walk away from sin. You can dump whatever you did wrong and it's down like, like, like thrown away in the toilet. It's broken into pieces. You can walk away and decide, I, 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 I've fallen in love with the God who loved me and I hate what used to condemn me. And you can, what you're doing is you're actually using the same messed up heart that had gotten you in trouble and gotten you guilty to start to, to enjoy life again. That hard heart becomes soft. And that's when God will sustain and change you, which is what I'm going to talk to you about in a little, in a few weeks. So it's opposite of what we think. We believe we have to be strong when our heart is collapsing. I have to be, I feel like quitting. I need to be strong. No, you don't. You need to repent. Somehow your heart has lost something, has lost its life, and you need God to build it up. You can't build it up. You cannot be strong. You're going to need to spend time with God who strengthens the weak. Now, warning. If you do not, from your heart, constantly repent, something goes wrong. If you do not constantly determine to receive correction, go to um, Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3 and verse 11. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. That's the correction of the Lord where he points out wrong. Neither be thou weary of his correction, for whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. Even as a father, the son whom he delighteth. Go to chapter 6, Proverbs 6, 23. Now, nobody likes, you know, being told they're doing wrong, but you, uh, it is wonderful when we're told that we're doing wrong and how to do right. That's correction. Look at verse, chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the commandment is a lamp, it lights up the dark place, and the law is light and reproofs of instruction. They're a way of life. Go back to chapter 1, still in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 23. God says, turn you at my reproof. Repent, turn, means to change your direction. Behold, if you do that, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make my, known, my words known. I'll make known my words unto you. So if you want to get close to God, you want to be filled with the spirit, be quick to repent when the heart says, warning, you're getting hard. Because if we're not quick to repent and receive correction, here's the truth, your heart will only become harder and harder. I won't have you to go there, but in 2 Chronicles 36, a king named Zedekiah, he was 21 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, and he did that which was evil inside the Lord. And he humbled not himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who was speaking from the mouth of the Lord, and he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had surrounded him and told him, I'm taking you away. And God said, surrender to the king, and everything's going to be all right. But he rebelled against God, he rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, but he stiffened, this is the truth, he stiffened his neck, I'm not going to move, and he hardened his heart from turning unto the Lord God of Israel. So if you start to harden your heart, guess what you're going to do? You're going to harden it harder. 
Don't believe for a second that, the Christ, that Christian hearts do not become hard and full of rebellion against God. If you do not, if as a Christian you do not keep your heart soft, it naturally goes hard. And the second thing that ought to scare you is your heart will begin to mock all the kindnesses of God. Go to Exodus. I've got to show you this. Exodus chapter 8. Exodus chapter 8 and verse 8. Exodus 8, 8. This is Pharaoh, Moses standing before him. Pharaoh's just had one of the plagues of frogs. All right? And the frogs have just taken over. They're in the cupboards. They're in the bed sheets. They're everywhere. And there in verse 8, it says this, chapter 8, verse 8. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord, pray to the Lord, that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may do sacrifice on the Lord. He says, I give up, I give in. Verse, run down to verse 13. Watch this. And when the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out in the houses, out of the villages and out of the fields, and they gathered them together upon heaps, and the land stank. So all of a sudden the frogs die, they start piling them up, they're stinking, so be it. But verse 15, but when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, respite means relief. When he saw that the pressure was off, Look what it says. He only hardened his heart and he hearkened not unto them, Moses and Aaron, as the Lord had said would happen. So what happened when God was kind to him and took away the frogs? His heart just got hard. If his heart never softened, it only gets harder. Third, you will only go deeper into sin. Proverbs 28. Psalms and then Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 28. Just two scriptures left and we're done. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 14. Proverbs 28 verse 14. This is the condition of a lot of Christians who used to come to church. Their heart becomes harder and harder towards God, towards the Bible. They begin to mock at the kindnesses of God. No matter how good God is, He takes away trouble out of their life. They just get harder. They go deeper and deeper into sin. Verse 20, chapter 28, verse 14. Happy is the man that feareth always, fears God always. But he that hardeneth his heart shall one day fall into mischief, into sin. Matthew 19.8. Let me give you a reason why most people divorce. You ready? I know that science says a lot of marriages break up because of money. Um, dissatisfaction, competition, all the kinds of things. But I'll give you... Here's the Bible's answer why most divorces occur. Matthew 19. You ready? Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts. Ouch. Why do two people who fell in love walk away from the marriage and tear it apart? Because their hearts got hard. See how dangerous a hard heart is? You say, well, he did this. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. Well, she said this. I know. There's a hard heart in there. And you'll, you'll, only, you'll only go into the sin of divorce, whatever sin they did moves to another level of sin where you just break the marriage bond, which you said was going to be till death. Then lastly, you'll, well, not last, two more things, you'll only blame others. You'll never blame yourself. One of the ways I know somebody hasn't spent any time with God is when they start talking about why they're drinking back again, you, they'll say, well, because of my wife. Well, because of my kids. You don't know what I have to put up with. My job, my boss didn't ever appreciate me and fired me. And what are they doing? Blame, blame, blame. Their heart. In chapter 29 of Proverbs, he that being often reproved 
and hardeneth his, nark, his, his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and not without remedy. In the end, you'll be destroyed in the end. That's why I preach. That's why these doors are open. That's why I plead with people to humble themselves and repent and believe the gospel. Because there is a judgment coming. There is a hell. And people with hard hearts go there. I don't want that. And I hope you don't want to either. I hope you don't. Listen, you may be saved. I appreciate that. But let me tell you, what the world struggles in their hard hearts should not be going on here. When a sin is presented and exposed and your heart says, yeah, you need to go, he's right. And keep that heart soft. Because you don't want to go down that path. Every Christian has the potential to go down that path and end up ruined. Next time I'm going to show you how God overturns that condemnation. You don't just ignore it. You don't just fight it. You need God to step in. And that's, that's, the, that's where the Bible says God is greater than our heart. Hallelujah. As, as condemning as our heart is, what does the Bible say? God is liberating. God gives freedom. But he doesn't do it where we don't come to God with that condemned heart. We need to be able to say, God, my heart's condemning me. Evidently, I'm wrong. And I don't, I, don't, I don't want to try to make myself right. I want you to make me right. That's, first of all, called being saved. But once you're saved, that's called, uh, it's just called saying soft and, and being, being easy to be entreated, being, being easy to be reasoned with where you don't fight and you don't argue and you don't resist when you're being rebuked. You know what my job is? Paul says, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, that's a negative word. Rebuke, that's a negative word. And exhort, that's a positive word. So there's some times where it's just, <laughs> and it's for the heart, isn't it? So that we go, you're right. I hate to admit it, but you're right. That's what my heart is convincing me of right now. Here's the invitation. When your heart condemns us, it is a good thing at first. It needs to be accepted. It calls for us to repent, to turn away from whatever, whatever, makes you grieved that you're doing. The fact that you get grieved at it is a good thing. But you ought, to, you ought to realize that's God saying you can walk away. Do you know the worst person in this room right now is the person who doesn't feel anything? Who's just sitting there and I couldn't move you with a JCB. That's the most dangerous person in this room because that person is either not saved or they are so far away from God, God can't even help them because they're hard heart. When God calls you to repent, you ought to be quick to go, I'll repent. If you do not constantly say, what do you mean constantly? Well, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, you're going to do something. You're going to say something. You're going to see something. And you go, Lord, I'm sorry. Wouldn't those be wonderful words? You're going to say something to your husband, say something to your wife, and go quickly, sorry. My heart has convicted me. That'd be a wonderful home, wouldn't it? Everybody wants a perfect home where we never do anything wrong. That home doesn't exist. The best home is the one that you cross the line, you say something wrong, you do something wrong, you don't do what you should do, you're quick to say you're sorry. And it's great news. The heart can be cleansed and softened and transformed. And don't ever, don't ever say, well, you know, my heart, I used to love the Bible. I used to love going to church. I used to love going soul winning. Don't ever want to have your heart like it used to be. Want your heart to be like it should be. Let's stand. Let's bow in prayer.
Thank you, Lord, for convicting me about my own heart, about how I argue with it and I fight it and I quench it and I resist its conviction. It doesn't have to make up lies about me doing wrong. It, it's the thing that does the wrong and then it tells on me. So when my heart is convicting me, it's a shame where somebody else has to say that I've done wrong when my heart has already told me. If I would only quickly humble myself and own up to it and accept it and humble myself and turn to Christ and repent. If I would just be quick to do that. You said you would pour out your spirit upon me. Lord, help me to keep my heart soft. Don't ever let life's troubles and problems as much as they multiply, make my heart hard. I don't want a hard heart, God. It seems to be the most common kind today. I pray that mine is rare and right and soft. I pray that's true in the hearers here, but in this room there may be some people who think that they're religious and they're pretty good. I pray they realize we've gone through the list. Their heart is wicked. And in their deepest, darkest chambers of their heart is such sin they just have not experienced yet and if they keep living without you living on their own terms it will only get worse it's what the bible says i don't want anybody in this room to ever walk away from here without being born again without being transformed not conformed to the world anymore but transformed by the renewing of our mind i pray that you renewed some some soft hearts this morning god the problems in our homes they're not money problems. They're not even personality problems. They're heart problems. And soft hearts can be changed. Hard hearts, they only get smashed. I pray that it doesn't come to that, God, because one day they, the whole world will stand before you and it will be the judgment of all time and it will not go well. So please help somebody in this room turn to Christ this morning and get saved and let somebody in this room loads of Christians finally say Lord please soften my heart don't let me get hard anymore help me be like my heart is supposed to be please in Jesus name amen would you stand as you have thank you let's sing